Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Claybo, your host. And with me today, co-host Christian Wins. Hello. Hey, Christian. And we got Adam F. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> From Vermont. That's a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. And back for another week and probably some more, Mark Miller. I made it back. I'm a co-host, kids. <laughs> Glad to have you here, Mark. Every week. We just look forward to it. Me too, man. <laughs> I don't leave when you guys when you guys stop the show. I stay here and I just look in the camera. Wait for the next week to come up. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Don't you got you like family or anything like that? <laughs> yeah. We're your family. <laughs> You're my family, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's bring in our guest. Let's welcome Andre Schiller Chan. Welcome, Andre. G'day, fans. G'day. Sorry, Mark. You just went from zero to 100 there, mate. <laughs> I'm, trying not to, I'm not trying to burst into laughter here, mate. It's, ah, it's great. Whatever, you, whatever you've just eaten, man, send it over my way. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's keep it going then. Yeah. All right, Andre. Work, um, I'm working on my I'm working on my professional my professional speaking voice. Maybe, I don't know, maybe later we can talk about some tips if, if you guys want any. Yeah, hundred percent. That would be great, man. All right, Andre. Uh why don't you start us off by just kind of give us a quick quick introduction of yourself and you know how you got into development, how you got into .NET. Uh well geez, and how long do you have? But uh to try and wrap this up as quickly as I as I can, I was a um I was a theater director back in the day. A uh, long, long, long time back back in Melbourne. And uh, I came over to London because I got offered a place to do a master's in voice sciences, voice voice studies. And the reason I got into voice was because I started working with wrongfully convicted prisoners. So there's a fella called Ruben Hurricane Carter. I'm not sure if you know about him, but he's quite big in America. Um well he was, he passed away some years ago. Bob Dylan wrote a song about him. It's called The Hurricane. Do you guys know the song? Cool. So with Ruben, we were working with a, a wrongfully convicted fella called Dave McCallum, and he was exonerated in 2015, I believe. And uh, during my, my friendship with him and uh, during my time with him, I, I started learning a little about how trauma informs voice. And I started using a lot of the, the learnings that I I suppose, learned there and took it into the theater world. Um, and, I, and then I started directing and using some of the techniques that I learned. And then, um, yeah, and long story short, I got offered a place to study at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama here in the UK. Now, after that master's had finished, I didn't get any good, inter I didn't get any good um, uh, internships. So it was very difficult for me to find a job. Um, and about three months went by where I just I literally couldn't find anything. And how I was keeping afloat was by teaching boxing. And I'd really gotten to the point where I was so down in the dumps and really depressed and uh, I was in a very bad headspace that uh, I just, I suppose I reached out to one of, to one of my boxing clients uh, and I asked him, do you, have a, do you have any jobs going? And he said, well, uh, we've got a temporary contract where we just need a person to staple some paper together. And uh, I suppose I had to swallow my pride a little bit and just say yes, because I had no other choice. I had to pay the bills. Um, and so I was, I was stapling pieces of paper together for three months. And this is given the fact that I had my own theater business in, in Melbourne and in uh, Victoria and Australia. So it was a bit of a jump for me, but I did that job damn well. And I got promoted and, uh, the company that I was working with Moneybox has been, has been fantastic. And, uh, I really worked at it, worked really hard. And, uh, they gave me the opportunity to build out their pensions operations, I suppose, requirements. I kept learning SQL there, and I kept building up the requirements that were needed for that. And then eventually, uh, the company gave me the opportunity to do a lateral move into software engineering because of my domain knowledge. Um, I, I seem to have, I suppose, I proved my worth, and they gave me the chance to to move into software engineering. And I suppose it's because somebody caught wind that I had been learning to code on the side. I, I wanted to, to to learn how to do what the engineers were doing and so I was teaching myself and then I had a great mentor really kind of pick me up and and give me a chance and then and now here I am so I kind of owe everything to some of the people at Moneybox and, and to my mentor Mr. Christopher Haynes um, yeah he's probably 
he's probably looking at those staples and he's like, these are some of the best stapling I've ever seen. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I stapled the crap out of those papers. These are amazing. <laughs> we got to get this guy into the programming. That's exactly what happened. And, uh, and boy, are they, are they happy about it now? Given the fact I'm saving them tons of money on PDF creation, which is what we'll get into shortly, I presume. Yeah. So, what kind of things do you 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 tend to to work on with with .NET? So, uh, one of the first jobs that they gave me when I was a junior developer was actually generating statements. So, so Moneybox is a fintech, and here in the UK, everything is very tightly regulated. So, you need just statements are coming out left, right, and center. So, you, so we needed a way to generate these statements quickly, and and actually to have a little bit of flexibility with, with how we can. Uh, I suppose, provide the information to customers in a nice and exciting way. And we were using HTML PDF creation at the beginning. So my job right at the beginning as a junior software engineer was go was writing things in HTML and converting them into PDF. Now, I'm not sure if you guys have ever done it, but when I was in my jujitsu class, I said, has anyone done HTML to PDF? It's a collective groan just you know echoes throughout the chamber there. So it seems to be a, a rite of passage for a lot of folks. But uh, God, I was finding it super super frustrating have you guys ever had to do any of that html to pdf stuff in the past i'm sure you must have yeah i've not done html to pdf but i've definitely had to go out there and and find libraries that would help me out with i did lots of that a number of them yeah but you know i never really found them yeah yeah (laughs) that were really that you know user-friendly to you know get things done quickly and easily yeah, it, it really wasn't like that. I mean, I, I mean, Christian, you might have come across this before, but, you know, like HTML has got no concept of pagination, right? So what we found really difficult, especially when you work with finance, you always have tables and then you would have, you know, you might have five sentences within the table. So you could you could set up a table break, e- easy, uh, sorry, a page break easily enough in HTML. But what happens if you've got characters within a table, which then spills over to the next page? So you get all this kind of funky stuff that happens. So we had to do all kinds of crazy algorithms like, you know, measuring the width of a character and then measuring the number of characters you could fit inside a table cell, all kinds of crazy stuff. I was about to ready to throw the cat out of the window after about two weeks of this. So that's why I started. I said, you know, to hell with this. I'm not going to use HTML or PDF. Let's see if I can find somewhere or something better to use. And uh, this is when I stumbled upon, upon Quest PDF. And uh, as I was just mentioning before, it was... Wasn't on the first page of Google yet. It was on the third page. You never usually click next on Google. There, there's more than one page. I I, I yeah. wasn't aware. <laughs> oh yeah, Christian, there's tons. Yeah, just got to go looking, mate. Tons okay. and tons of pages. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I've never found anything past the first page of Google, but um, uh, I think I went through everything on the first page because there's tons of like PDF creation libraries out there, aren't there? There's like we were using Aspos. I don't want to go into I don't want to get sued for defamation about <laughs> using that library. So I'm not going to say anymore. But the, the reason why we moved Aspo, from, from Aspose to Quest PDF is because of the pain points that we were having. So I, I, so I think I went through all kinds of different libraries on there. And they just couldn't give us what we wanted. And really what sealed the deal was that we needed to create a PDF that could create charts, bar charts and pie charts, all kinds of charts. Nothing else was really giving us um, what we wanted. And then, yeah, as I said, I clicked onto page three of Google and found Quest PDF. Um, and it's it's an open source library that is sincerely intuitive, even for a junior software engineer like myself at the time to use. And uh, and now we've rolled it we've, we've rolled it out across the company, and and it, uh, it works brilliantly. It's it's very easy to use, and performance wise, it would take I think it would take a week. To generate customer statements using Espo's PDF, we've halved that time with Quest. It's uh, I haven't done any like in-depth analysis of the performance, but just the, given the fact that it's literally cut our time in half to generate customer statements is is proof enough. It's fantastic. So, uh, do you think that 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 performance may be perceived or or actual better performance? Does that come from I don't know better algorithm, more limited feature set, different approach on how to generate PDF? Because I think I mean PDF generation sounds like really hard for me, also from my experience. Because and do correct me if I'm wrong, 
the nice thing about HTML, of course, is uh, as you as you mentioned that uh, the the browsers lay out stuff like tables automatically and page breaks. Well, you know, they send it to the printer, and eventually there will be a page break. Whereas in PDF, you basically can't say, okay, here's some long text, good luck. But instead, okay, add new page, put that content on the page, add another page, put that content on that page. And if the content doesn't fit, it just gets cut. Right? Yeah, that's so, right. So, so is that, does that come into play here, or uh, what? What would you say? What? What was no, the, the performance um, miracle here? Uh, to, uh, to be honest, mate, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you that. You'd have to bring on the genius himself, Martin uh, Martin the, the fellow who who created. He wears a he wears a helmet in his pictures on GitHub. I, I presume to protect his his intellect at all times. Um, but uh, I mean, look, we I suppose PDF. It's closed source stuff, and we're having so many problems and uh, when you go into the forum and look at all the issues they've got and everything that we were facing, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what was going on there mate, behind closed doors. But the great stuff with QuestPDF is, is that it's open source and you can look through it yourself. Um, I mean, personally, I haven't really gone through every single file. I've really only used what we looked at what we needed. But when it comes to page breaks, it's a simple, it's, he's, all he's done is implemented a simple fluid method onto it you say you say when you want a page break, bang, in it goes. You don't have to do any of that algorithmic counting about how long characters are or the width of the tables. Um, that's why I'm saying it's like super intuitive. Just use if you want to get a PDF up and running in about five minutes. That's the way you go about doing it. That sounds really nice, and I think uh, especially given the the different approach that PDF has, let me put it that way, then. Than, than a, a word processor or something like a website, right? Where basically you just, you know, provide text and then the, the layout is, is, is done by the system, not, not by you. I think uh, having having an intuitive um, API is, is probably paramount, right? So, so, so maybe I think that, so. That, that library shines as well, right? Yeah, I think so. And, and um, because it's using, using like a fluent syntax, the way, you read, the way you read PDF is the way that the code is written. So it's kind of written line by line. Um, it's encouraged that you break things into components, right? So, for instance, this pie chart that I was talking about implementing for our statements, that's a whole separate component, and you might make another table, a different component. You would try and compartmentalize as much of it as, as possible. But the way you read it is, is exactly how you write it. It's very, it's very cool. And what about international stuff? Let's say right to left text order or Japanese characters and other stuff that we totally don't think about and then they fail even in PDF files. Oh, God, I, Jesus, I haven't even, I haven't even looked at that, unfortunately. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, I, haven't, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been uh, required to write fintech statements in a different language or go in the other other direction like uh, recently i was doing that for norwegian i think and everything looked great uh, apart from some norwegian characters that just couldn't render <laughs> yeah uh, i mean hey look it does pie charts and, and i'm sure it does other things but uh no i wouldn't be able to tell you if, uh, you know for sure i haven't experimented enough to see I just threw a link into chat uh, on a section of, from the documentation for Quest PDF called Content Direction, where they talk about using right to left. So, so it looks like they might have support for it. Yeah, in fact, it says content from left to right is a call you can make, followed by content from right right to left. So you can uh, you can set the content direction using that API. Hmm. Yeah, Comprehensive. <laughs> oh, yeah, Adam, yeah, be, be, be nice about uh, Norwegians. You know, I'm 50% Norwegian. <laughs> My mom was 100%. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the other great thing about Quest PDF is that the documentation is off the charts. It is so good. It is so handy. Um, I, I think that was a big thing as well. Like, you know, I think I was looking at, was it the other one, Iron PDF, maybe was the other one I was looking at, but... I think what what put me off at the time was just uh, I found the documentation just to be a little bit too brittle. Whereas what Martin has done is is really incredible. Um, I really sound like this guy's fanboy, don't I? I but he's, he's just if you ever want a good case of imposter syndrome, go go look up this guy and and, and read read what he's done with the Quest PDF. He's a he's a fantastic fellow. He's done a great job. Um, 
yeah so i wouldn't yeah so it doesn't surprise me that it, that it supports different characters and, and right to left functionality there this is so, like a one-man show uh, it, it i mean it, it does there are several contributors uh, at least uh, on on the github um for for that project but but would you still say there's one uh, benevolent creator <laughs> uh, steering everything yeah yeah i think so i i just had a quick look at to see because i haven't really touched um yeah. uh everybody had a quick look at it for, for a long time i think we implemented his library in 2021 like a long time ago so i was like oh keen to see what's going on but it, it's <laughs> two weeks ago he's still going at it i can see his latest commit was there so uh, yeah definitely looks it looks that way I mean, I was uh, uh, in the last episode. I was uh, praising jQuery for having a very low number uh, of open issues, and uh, so Quest uh, PDF um, as of today is at 134, which I think is kind of okay because some of them are feature requests. I think uh, 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 implementing forms uh, is, of course, something interesting, right? So you have PDFs with fields that you can fill out. But I think from technology point of view, that's that's just yet another level, right? And um, that's that's maybe where one of those those uh, two license products are um, are more common, right? Or mm. they just just implemented. And talking about the the, the license, I mean, uh, what's 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 the what's the situation there? I mean, um, yeah. So yeah, geez. I mean, as I said, like way back in 2021, I, there wasn't even a. Uh, Again, I literally just saw this, just having a look now before we came mm. on. That license thing didn't exist. It was just under the free MIT license mm -hmm. when we used it. Um, and, and I'm glad to see, I'm happy for him that he has actually started to put some licensing stuff on there. So it's it's split between three, um, I suppose, three tiers. You know, you've got the free community use and then you've got the professional. Um, and then you might have the, you know, the more elite one. Um, so, I mean... Yeah, currently we're we're still on the, I think we're on like the twenty 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 two point five, yeah. where he says you know if you're still an older user you, you can still use this for free. But um, I mean I mean look it's, uh, I I think, uh, what does he say? He's he said that you can if you earn more than one million USD and and you're using a, a, a later version, you've got more than ten software engineers, then you know please be honest and sign up for the sign up for the late the the more pricey tier. So that's, so that's similar to the the community editions of uh, Visual Studio and Identity Server and 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 other products. I mean, probably Identity Server is a good comparison, right? Mm -hmm. I I fully understand that if if you're doing doing let's say stuff that's uh, especially relevant in a business context, then you have to have a model that's just viable. And yeah. The model can't be you just do it for free and then hope that you know some companies. Uh, Will send their gratitude, but uh, yeah, it's the the, yeah. the development uh, has to be has to be steady, and the system um, yeah needs uh, to be sustainable, right? So um, yeah, having, no, I'm, having... I'm glad he's I'm glad he's doing that. Right, I mean, we 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 gave him we gave him some sponsorship right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I'm glad I'm glad he's he's able to do something. But again, like it's all it's all based on honesty, isn't it? Uh, for him, currently, he's not enforcing a validation. Um, on any license, so he's a legend. Yeah, and the pricing is uh, at least as of as of today. There's a professional edition and enterprise edition, uh, depending on the size of the companies. Uh, so I think professionals up to ten devs, and then enterprise over ten devs, and uh, that's currently at uh, five hundred and three thousand dollars a year, uh, plus plus taxes, um, and if I understand it correctly, uh, it, uh, no matter how many developers you have, for instance, the enterprise version is, is, is good for any size, right? So, yeah, I mean, personally, look, well that worth, looks sounds well reasonable to me, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, it's well worth it. I mean, I think we were at some point we were paying, I suppose, more than that, and they really weren't. Yeah, they were just causing more problems than uh, you know giving us solutions. Again, hopefully, I'm not going to get super defamation here. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think they're our sponsors, so... <laughs> yeah, I was going to oh, uh, probably should have checked before I opened my mouth there. Yeah, it does look like there's one, uh, you know, limitation, at least, that I found of Quest PDF, and it doesn't do forms, at least not yet. And, you know, he, he might be able to add something like that in the future. Uh, I was looking through the, the GitHub repository of, of feedback, and I guess 
people have kind of ha- asked a little bit about that, but uh, it's it's not there yet. So right now, it's pretty much just creating layouts for PDFs. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that seems to be it at the moment. All right. So what was it, you know, really like, you know, imp- working working at this, uh, you know, this library, you know, compared to, you know, other ones that you've tried out? So, yeah, interesting. If I take my mind back to 2021, it, it was about over a three-week period where, um, you know, where, where my tech lead gave me, I suppose, free reign to say, look, we... If you, if you think you can find something better than HTML to PDF conversion, I suppose, go for gold. So um, so I tested out. I, I tried to give at least like enough libraries, enough time to see which one would work for, for what we needed. Um, and, yeah, and none of them, I didn't get past a few of them for like, you know, two days. And I'll just go, no, nah, that's just not working for, our, for us. What really sealed the deal for me when I was working with the Quest PDF was the, was the documentation, was the ability to actually and uh, to to write it up in the way that you would read a PDF, so it actually made the readability a lot more cleaner for everyone else to understand as well. I think that's a big thing when you're working with PDFs because it's you, you you tend to share a lot of the work. There's not really one single, uh, I suppose, source of failure when it comes to PDF generation in the company, because especially when you're working in finance, you've got very you've got a lot of different teams that have to touch different parts. Of regulatory finance and each statement always has some kind of reason to exist so uh, i'm not sure if any of you guys have worked in a regulatory environment before but there's it's super especially here in the uk you need to be on top of uh, of these of these statements and there's statements for everything um so readability was was very important um but really the thing that's still the deal for me was actually this great method that he that he develops and christian we touched on this a little bit before and you can go into the documentation, you can find it now. It's literally, it, it, the method is called ensure space. That's it. And the method, it's a, it's a one-line method. And it literally does everything that we just talked about, which is how do you know when to split a, a table cell if it goes over to the next page? Do you have to count how many characters you can fit in the table cell? How wide are they going to be? That's what we have to do in HTML PDF where you do, where you do some other crazy stuff. Here, all you have to do is, is type in ensure space. And for, that, and for us, that was really what sealed the deal. Because it is, we, it is just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of tables with different transactional data, and they're all different. And we needed to make sure that it's split into a, into a, it will split into the next page properly. Otherwise, it would just look all completely jumbled. It just wouldn't work, and and that's a problem. It becomes like a legal problem if you can't give these statements to people properly. Yeah, I think there's a there's another kind of component to the. The architecture of Quest PDF that I really like, uh, which based on the sample code I've seen, um, which is readability. You you know, like you say, you're you're looking at the code in the same order, in the same presentation that the PDF appears in, um, and and there's a number of kind of interesting choices in terms of architecture, where uh, you 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 basically are calling dot in some method, and the method is making a change, but also returning the changed item. So you just, on multiple lines, you might say, you know, dot extend horizontal, dot height, you know, 75, dot background colors. And you can do that, run that down the line like that, right? When you're modifying like a column or an item or things like that. Um, And then also similarly for like, uh, you know, on an item, you can say, I think line, and then put the text that you want to have on that line. And I think you can do things like justify. You can say right justify or left justify, whatever. I don't recall what the um, uh, the uh, the keyword is, but uh, the function name is. But you can make that call in there as you're, and set, I think you can set your font as well as you're going down. So line by line, you can see it, and it's it's uh, in all the code code samples I've seen on Quest PDF, as well as in your article, Andre. I'm like I'm looking at it, I'm I'm nodding my head as I'm reading it because it's easy to grok. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean—the readability, the 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 ease, and and the speed at which you can pick it up. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's a huge thing. I mean, I remember picking up a suppose PDF. Somebody just dumped it dumped it on me because they've been working with it for like what five years, I think, maybe since the company began. God, that took just ages to understand, ages and ages. Um, you know, yeah. Whereas Quest PDF, it's literally just a fluid syntax. You can just build one on top of the other. 
And the great thing is that you can set a styling as well, and you pass, you literally just pass that down the line and and uh, activate it when you want. So yes, yeah, so that that's what really sealed the deal for Quest PDF. Um, <laughs> but actually, uh, I am thinking back now. The the real reason was that the product designer wanted. This is a funny. This is actually a funny story. The product designer wanted a pie chart to list the number of assets that a customer may have, and so and so she built this beautiful pie chart. And no other PDF library supported charts of any kind. And so I, when I was experimenting with PDF and started doing the chart, I was like, oh, this this is actually working. This is working greatly. Um, and we were, everyone was so excited because we had this statement that could produce this chart for everyone. And uh, and and then I kind of sat back and said, "Well, hang on, how many how many assets can a customer have?" And uh, and then at the time we could only have like four, but then we, we were planning to roll out a lot more. Um, and so that pie chart had to go in the bin because you just you could imagine a person with like thirty assets and a pie chart all being taken up by different. You know, you've got Apple and Meta and Facebook and all this stuff. And if you have you have thirty of them, you wouldn't it would just be a complete jumble. So at the end of the day, we had to get rid of the pie chart, but it led us to the led us to the topic that we're talking about now. So yeah, <laughs> funny to think about in hindsight. So Andre, when I was reading your original article, uh, I I proceeded to click on your name and look at some of the other articles you wrote, which then led me into a an article you wrote called "How to Give Your Voice Depth and Why It Matters." And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to, you know, you know, pick up my wife on a date, you know, make her want to go out on a date with me by having a sexy voice. And so I just like was reading that. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Wait, hang on. She's, she's your wife, but you haven't been on a date yet? I have to work all the time. I got to work. <laughs> I got to work to get what I want. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Do. Okay, so but, anyway, but, I'm trying some of the techniques, right? I'm like, oh ah, hey, yeah, hey, hey there, hey there, hey. hey. Then she walks away right around that by the third or fourth hey. But I, I start understanding that. Um, so <laughs> hey, please, please give us because actually, may may I go one one step back? Actually, so so when you mentioned your studies, could could you elaborate what 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 that actually means? Uh, I, I've heard the term, but I I have no idea what what your Okay. All right. What so, um, yeah. So, I suppose it, it splits into two kinds, right? You've got a, a speech and language therapist, and they'll deal with people more with you know stutters and and more um, speech disorder stuff. And then and then you'll have people like me who are more um, dealing, I suppose, with more personal requests, a little bit like with you, Mark. You know, like can you help me make my voice deeper so my wife will go on a date with me? Although I I feel if that's your problem, you may, you may want to go see a counselor because that that doesn't sound too good. That's the tip um, of the iceberg. With yeah, I was, was going to say it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, but the best way that I can sum up is is the King's Speech. Like uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen the film with with Jeffrey Rush um, and Colin Firth, but uh, that's but basically what a voice coach a voice coach does in a nutshell. But uh, in my master's, I was focusing more on the, tra- on the trauma aspect about how trauma can affect the voice and how you, we could help people coming out of prisons um, because you know, a lot of people go in there when they're very young and they've been picked up for like marijuana. Um, you know, there's really just silly crimes and things like that. But, uh, you know, they come out uh, obviously changed and their voice, I mean, think about how much you use your voice in a day. You speak a lot. You know, and your voice, your vocal folds, typically an average man, they they vibrate 120 times per um, per second. So we use our voice a lot, but then our voice also influences people around us and they influence how they feel about us. Um, and your voice can also influence how you feel on the inside. And so maybe, and so maybe the, I think, Mark, that article that I wrote was talking a little bit more about how the voice influences us internally and also how it can, it can influence us on the outside. So... Um, so my job as a voice coach is, is to kind of help people take more of a control about how they use their voice in a much more, uh, what's what's the right word here, but I, I suppose start treating it as more like an instrument and rather than just to be something to be controlled by. So for instance, if you're nervous, you might just feel like my voice is going to break here, or it's going to go high. I don't really feel like I've got any control over it. And most people don't even like the sound of their own voice. They, they hate it. Um, and t- actually... 
a fair number of my clients here in the London are software engineers, funnily enough. And they didn't know they don't know I'm a software engineer because I don't think it's it's on my blog anywhere. But uh, they come to me and say, I don't feel like I've got the right to speak in meetings. I'm like, well, you know, and then we'll go into the feeling about why they don't feel like they've got the right to speak. Um, the other one that came up was, uh, I feel afraid that I'm going to be interrupted. And that, would, they, that brought up a very interesting conversation because I suppose we're missing out and hearing a lot of quieter voices. We're not generating an environment where people feel like they have the right to be heard. So, so all these things that came out of um, speaking to clients has been quite interesting, the software engineering side. But, uh, but back to your question, Mark, about how to make your voice deeper. It's not about, uh, uh, it's not about lowering your voice you know, into a, into a very low kind of thing. It's it's about activating what are called resonating chambers, chambers within your body. So, for instance, I can give you a very clear example about amplifying nasal resonance. I can just go straight up into a really Aussie accent, and now I've kind of, I'm amplifying the higher frequencies that are bouncing off the nasal chambers here in my face and my head. But it actually makes me louder without using any more effort. So if you ever go to a pub or if you ever go to a nightclub and you feel like you're using your voice and you want to be heard, start speaking in a Australian accent, or <laughs> or if you're American, just try and go a little bit more, like try and go a little bit more nasal. It's called twang. It's like what Bob Dylan. It's it's an actual style of singing. Bob Dylan sings in twang, but you can save your voice from, uh, I suppose, drying out and from from it hurting because you're you're pressing so much, because you're activating um, what's it called like a positive feedback loop. You're getting all those vibrations that are going up through your vocal tract. They hit some of the nasal chambers within your head, and those sine waves get sent back down, and it creates this positive feedback loop. So your voice gets louder without using as much effort. So um, yeah, yeah, Mark. Yeah, you just you know you just get up close to your wife, and you use your chest voice, and you go, "Hey, dear, would you go on a date with me?" <laughs> Okay, I thought he was saying to use my nasal voice to get the date. Not, no, 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 that's no, if you're in a bar. That's when you're yeah, in a bar, a, not when you're trying to be, you know, oh, sexy, I, smooth to your wife. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna work on. A, there's so much I gotta work on. Yeah, some notes. Andre, uh, I heard, I heard one way to like for singers to learn how to use your chest voice rather than your nasal voice is actually lay down on the ground. Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah, you can all you can all do it now if you want. <laughs> um, but basically, when you, <laughs> I know Mark would do it. There goes Mark. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, when you lie down, your, your diaphragm relaxes, so you're not so your diaphragm isn't fighting against gravity. So your whole your body starts to relax. And so, Mark, I mean, that whole article is, is about a 15 minute read in itself, and I don't want to bore our listeners with with going too much into detail. But you know, when you're saying, "How do I have a lower voice?" It's not about just Again, dropping your larynx is being a lower voice. It's about allowing every resonating chamber within your body to start resonating more rather than locking yourself into a certain pitch. So, for instance, if I just lock myself into my chest, into a chest resonant voice by, by forcibly dropping my larynx, which makes my, my vocal frequency lower, I'm going to bore the crap out of you because I've, I've denied my voice range. So you can't just... It's not about focusing on one aspect of your voice by... I just want to amplify my chest resonance to sound like, more like a man. It's about amplifying your chest. It's about amplifying the nasal resonances. It's amplifying the, the resonances in your head and in your throat and bring them all together, not just not just using one part. I'm hoping I'm, I haven't lost you, but it is. No, I, yeah. no, I, I, I actually, there's a lot about the article that I, that I really liked. I, I, I loved, you know, one of the things I study is the science of good design and, one of the components of that is how do we interpret our world? And, uh, and I know a little bit about how we hear things, but, uh, but there were elements in this article that I had not encountered before that I, that I, that I liked, like the ability to detect, essentially detect if somebody is nervous or not, right? And what are we, you know, how are we doing that? And then how do you then transmit or communicate that this is a safe environment, right? By, by essentially speaking in a relaxed way. Right. Yeah. I thought it. I thought it was. Uh, I. I was really impressed with the science behind it. I was like, "Wow, look at this! A lot of research here." Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's a bit of a rabbit hole. You can keep going into it, and, and you'll still learn new things. Um. But yeah. But yeah. I mean, Sean, it's exactly what you said. You know, like you know, you can get like a deep voice by just lying on the ground. Like, what's happening there? 
And it's literally because your voice, uh, your body is just relaxing more. And the more relaxed your body is, the more, um, the more your rib cage can move, the more your larynx can move, and you have more greater movement in the frequencies that you can uh, phonate, that you can literally, you know, speak, and people can understand. So this, this thing about relaxation and stress when it comes to the voice, it's an interesting tension. You can't be too tense. You can't be too relaxed. You want to find just a very happy medium. And so as a voice coach, clients come to me. It's really about mastering this um, in the best way possible. And uh, and look, and here's the thing. like As software engineers, as all the four of you know, like you guys have a great responsibility because you guys are geniuses in your own right. And you all do talks um, to help the younger generation like myself learn. Um, but for other junior software engineers who, who are trying to get into your space, I say to them, well, you can use the daily stand-up you do as a practice board. It's a great way to practice learning to improve your voice because the worst thing you can do is go into a stand-up and just have that, I don't know where it's come from, Like this is very foreign to me, but maybe you guys can clarify, but it would usually go something like this, uh, yeah, hey guys, I'm just working on the Quest PDF generation for tomorrow and then I'll uh, I'll try and get it into release of the test environment on Friday, see about going release on Monday. Does that sound familiar? It's just a complete monotone. <laughs> doesn't really go anywhere. It just uh... That's exactly the point of stand-up, right? We want to keep it short, so it must be as boring as possible. <laughs> That's fine. But I, I argue that you can still keep it short, concise, and to the point, but also keep the attention of your listeners because a monotone just switches people every, it just switches people off and it doesn't give it doesn't make them feel like in a comfortable or relaxed state you would never go to a theater show you would never see a film and the whole i suppose the whole show is just actors speaking in monotone you'd just be sitting there bored out of your mind and i think it's important especially if you're giving updates in the fint in the fintech world that you want your audience to understand what's going on and so your job as, as a master speaker is to reel them in yeah, uh, one question uh, in this area, like I'm a public speaker for many years now and I noticed, like I come from Poland, so my mother tongue is Polish, right? And I noticed that whenever I do speak English, I have higher pitch. Do you know what could be the reason and is it common or is it just me? It's it's very common. It's it's the placement of your tongue. It's the placement of your jaw when you when you're starting to uh, when you're learning the language, I mean, if you if you learn English and you hear English speakers, English are naturally head heavy. You know, it's it's coming from the head. If you think about received pronunciation, it's all from it's all right at the at the uh, at the front of the mouth. It's it doesn't sound very much like how you guys speak uh, more more in the states, which is a little bit more throaty, a little bit more deeper in the chest. But all all accents have different places where they naturally sit when it comes to the placement of 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 where the vowels are. And so when you're speaking English, your tongue is going to be doing something a little bit differently to how you speak it in the mother tongue. And that forces it forces the way uh, the air comes up through your vocal tract and starts bouncing around in, in, in your mouth cavity there. So it's really just about the placement. That's that's super fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Could, could being... Being nervous also be a contributing factor. Uh, I, a friend of mine uh, a few years ago, she was she was looking for a new job, and then she was kind of phoning with a potential new employer. And I, I happened to be in a room, and I noticed that while she was on the phone, she was talking in a higher voice as usual, right? And that was not like her phone voice because I happened to know her phone voice, but it was her phoning potential new employer voice. So so maybe that also and. I mean, if, if you don't speak in your mother tongue, maybe that kind of builds in, so maybe more adrenaline. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well? I mean, 100%. I, I can't speak on your behalf, Adam or Christian, because I'm not, I don't speak a second language. So I have so much respect for you guys getting up there and, and doing that in, in a language that's not your mother tongue. Um, you do American English, Australian English. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe Australian, maybe a bit of English here and there, but. Uh, um, so if your voice starts going higher, it is because stress starts forcing your body into the fight or flight response and the fight or flight response says, well, it does all kind. it could be doing a myriad of, of different things, but the number one thing is that it prepares your body for action. Now, as I said, 
Sean, going back to your analogy about lying on the floor and your body relaxing, and why, you know, why does that make your voice deep? Well, because it's making space. It's allowing space to happen. What happens when you want to fight or flight? Things start to tense up. So, for instance, if you're quite nervous, you might start breathing a little bit quicker. But the problem is when you're nervous, you tend to lock your stomach because it's like you're in a protective pose, right? So if you're nervous, all four of you can just do this now. Like, is your belly nice? And I mean, you all look pretty relaxed. So I would imagine it would be nice and your belly would be nice and relaxed. But when you're nervous, you, you know, your abdomen starts to tighten up. So then your body goes, well, I need air. And my diaphragm has no place to move because my organs below my diaphragm aren't moving. So my body is going to have to find some way to, to intake air. And so what it does is it activates these things called secondary respiratory muscles. It's a big sternocleidomastoid. You can see it. Well, the listeners at home can't see it. There's a big muscle that runs down uh, the mastoid process just, just under your chin. And it attaches to you to what's called your scapula here. And it starts lifting your ribcage up and down so you guys can start breathing in air when you're nervous. The problem with that is, is that this muscle is so big, it starts to tighten up the larynx. So your, uh, so your, vocal, your vocal tract, place that houses your vocal folds things start to get very tight and what happens to a tight guitar string you start the, the frequency starts to get higher so that's why the voice starts rising in pitch when you get nervous because things start to get a lot tighter like a like a guitar, uh, guitar string so you have to start learning techniques and start trying to understand how to relax your body in that state when you're in a nervous situation and you have to, you, you can use all these different kinds of techniques to kind of start grounding yourself a little bit more. But it, it's it's hilarious. Now you might find like a six foot fella, you know, he's really mus- muscular, you know, full of macho man. And then a police cop pulls him up on the side and goes, "Oh, hello, officer. Oh, what did I do wrong today?" You know, like it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious what what the voice will give away about about how somebody is feeling. That's how uh, I talk normally all the time. <laughs> You're just constantly nervous of your wife, mate. I I, I, I don't blame her because you haven't taken her out on a date for a long time. Apparently. I hope she says yes. <laughs> yeah. Of course, anymore, you could just use AI to give yourself like the, a Luther Vandross voice and, you know. Yeah, that's that scary. Single, you know, voicemail to your wife, you know, with what Luther Vandross is <laughs> speaking. I feel like this show is turning into will Mark get a date with his wife? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be keen to, I'd be keen to hear. Oh man. Yeah. yeah you, you, it sounds like you've got to take her out. fella. We'll, we'll keep you updated kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tune in next week to find out Mark's wife's answer. Yeah. Um, and, and look just something very easily that I, that I could tell you, Mark, you know, if you're nervous, the best way to start unnerving yourself is to introduce range and melody back into your voice. So instead of, you know, going into monotone and allowing that nerves just to kind of keep your voice at a certain pitch, if you can start bringing melody and song into the way you speak, it starts to it starts to trigger what's called the parasympathetic nervous system within you. It starts to relax you a little bit more. And that way, you might just be able to grab, you know, pull her onto your side, mate. We'll start maybe with some karaoke then. <laughs> That's not a bad shout. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't go that far. I think, Mark, I really have to like bring you back. You know, man, you got to find a happy balance. You go, you go zero to one hundred too much. Okay, I need to. I need your phone number, Andre, so I could like have you on the on the speakerphone while I'm, you know, working on these things. I mean, that is, I do that. I do that. I have clients where you know I'll, I'll have them, uh, you know, recording their sessions when they're speaking at a legal office and stuff. So, man, I'm I'm happy to. Happy to be there. Back up for you, Mark. That's so funny. That's so funny. Thank you. We're all good. Yep. We'll move on to picks. Uh, let's have Mark. Why don't you go first this week? Okay. My pick is uh, a show on Disney uh, called Andor. Uh, it's it's like two of my favorite Boolean operations combined together into one name. And uh, this thing kind of surprised me because I had I had I had gone alert. in what Nerd Nerd alert. Alert. that's what my wife says when I come up to ask her for a date I don't even get the words out she's like nerd alert so uh, but anyway Andor totally surprised me I I had uh, I I my first you know stop at Disney with the Star Wars series was I think. Uh, Obi-Wan. And 
I really didn't like, you know, the initial episodes. I talked to somebody who thought it was really good. So I went back in again and I, I just have problems with the writing and problems with the directing. I, there are problems all over with Obi-Wan. But with Andor, that experience, we was totally the opposite of that. Instead of having problems, I was impressed. In fact, it had, I think, my two favorite villains of any TV series I've ever seen. And those two villains were not working together. They were kind of each fighting for their own what they wanted. And uh, and and I found it incredibly delightful. Uh, you know, this one of this villain just kept getting the, the villain was on the, the normal path of the protagonist, right? Where the protagonist has all the obstacles in front. But now this was happening to the villain. And I was I was loving it. It was so delightful. Um, so anyway, I recommend that. I think there's only one season of it. Uh, but, uh, but I really enjoyed it. If you're a fan of the Star Wars universe, uh, I, I feel like they, they nailed the, the feeling, the setting, the props were excellent as well, right? You have these props you haven't seen before that feel authentic and real and, and as if they're right there in the universe. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. If I may jump in there, currently shooting season two. Woohoo! Have you watched uh, Boba Fett? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Oh, you have to watch Boba Fett. That's okay. a, another good one, yeah. All right, we'll get into that next. Okay. All right, Christian, what's your pick this week? I have a technical tip uh, this week, uh, and it's PNPM. So, uh, as you probably know, when working with uh, NPM packages, uh, you could also use Yarn if you wanted uh, as the package manager of choice. And they're mostly compatible, and uh, uh, there are also some projects where one works better than the other. And I uh, recently found out about PNPM, and uh, what I like about PNPM is uh, that it's pretty fast. So on their, their website, they claim it's uh, up to twice as fast than others, um, without naming the others, of course. And one of the things they do, and I, I, I kind of really like that, is... Uh, they are they are using um, hard links for the dependencies they're installing with npm. So I um, probably know that if whatever you use uh, a, a framework X and that uh, has a lot of npm packages and you do a lot of projects with framework X, then each of those projects you basically have the same node modules folder with the same contents, bar any any version changes, of course, right? And uh, what pnpm does is it's using hard links. Uh, so if you're using version 1.2.3 of a dependency, it's on your hard drive uh, once. And it even works under Windows, even though uh, some links there are, well, let's just say a different story, but I managed to pull it off. And as usual, there might be some dependencies that are not uh, compatible or compliant with uh, npm yet. But that also is being worked on, and so I find this uh, really interesting and, yeah, pretty fast and uh, slick alternative. Um, and that's my pick of this week. All right. One thing that's already always bothered me with NPM uh, is why do I need to download the entire source code, distributable, and everything with it? Why can't I just say, only give me the distributable? Because, you know, I'm not really needing to go in and look at their source code you know, locally on my machine when I install something. So it would be much, much smaller if I could just say, just give me what I need to be able to build my application. I don't know need everything else to go go with it. If I needed that, I could go out and look on a GitHub or, or wherever it's at. So that's my little rant there. <laughs> All right, Adam, what's your pick? So my pick for this week is a little bit different uh, because like a, it's a case of big out call it. Uh, I was looking how to host a Mac M1 online uh, as basically a dedicated virtual machine. And I checked dozens of those services that they claim they do it. Um, and most of them do some weird hacks. They they provide Hackintosh, Docker doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I finally landed with uh, cyberlink.net, uh, 
This worked for me really good. M1 is like dedicated, the Docker works, everything is cool. Um, so not to obviously recommend any specific provider, but just keep in mind that there are providers out there that can give you like a proper Mac M1 as a dedicated server. Um, the only thing that I don't like, but it applies to all the Mac instances is like VNC is slow as hell. Uh, but this SSH works great. That's it. Okay, so uh, my pick this week is some software that I came upon for web cameras. And what it allows you to do is, say you don't have a webcam, uh, you can actually use your phone as your webcam. So that's one of the things that it does. But it also allows you to have uh, greater control over lots of different things for your for your camera if you have an actual webcam. So you can adjust uh, lots of different sliders for color, background effects, you know, lots of different things. And the software is called Camo. So um, basically just takes lets you take your camera and produce, you know, better video, whether it's a meeting or streaming or, or recording or anything like that. And uh, there's a free version. And then it's basically, you know, if you want to pay more, you'll get more features and those couple of different couple different levels of, of payment there. So depending on what your needs are, but if you're looking for something that gives you some better control over your camera, or if you want to use your, uh, your phone as your webcam, uh, check out Camo. And they didn't pay me for that. <laughs> All right, Andre, you got a pick for us? Yeah. So if you think about this, um, our boss held a book club for our team. And the book that we were reading is called Turn, uh, Turn the Ship Around. Um, I've forgotten the author. You'll have, you'll have to Google that one. But it's about, it's about leadership. It's about letting, if you really want to um, expand the potential of, of the people that you look after and that you lead, it's, it's about letting go um, and entrusting them with, with more responsibility. So he was, actually a, he was actually a Navy captain looking after a nuclear submarine. And before that, it was always you know i lead you follow he came in literally turned the ship around by changing the management paradigms and said uh you know you lead i lead so it's about leading to lead so yeah fantastic book that really changed the way that we think about how we mentor juniors and uh, i suppose even how we kind of uh, look at ourselves when we're when we're managers and leaders so i can't recommend the book enough it is it is an invigorating read and really makes you think it's fantastic yeah, it looks like it's uh, what Andy Warshak and David Marquet. That's the one. So is the uh, the authors. Yep. So found that. We'll put that in the notes. All right, Andre. Uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, is there a way that people can get in touch with you in case they have questions and they want to reach out? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, my website is uh, Orator Voice. So if they they can find my email there if they've got any questions about about that. So yeah, oratorvoice.com. Okay, great. If our listeners want to uh, reach out to the show, they can find me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Thanks, everybody. Great show. We'll catch our listeners on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. <laughs>